Well, welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome, everybody, watching on the internet. Thanks for being with us, too. And uh, would uh, love to connect with you. My name is uh, Pastor Jeff. If I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you. Um, if you're here in the building, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards. I'd love to say hi to you and, uh, and connect with you a little bit. Uh, hey, before I get into my conversation, our conversation this weekend, um, I want you guys to know I am really getting excited about Christmas. It's kind of around the corner, and we've been working on it this week in the office, getting the, the December series ready, the next one, and then the Christmas program. And so it's going to be great. I'm really, really thrilled about the way it's coming together. And uh, Christmas time is a great time to like help people connect to uh, the church and, more importantly, to Jesus. And so I'm just excited about it. It's kind of on our radar and uh, and want you to know that personally, um, I like cash, gift cards, uh, vehicles, uh, private planes. So those kind of things you can put on your list for me. But I think it's going to be a great season and uh, starting to get really, really excited about that hitting. Uh, we are in a series right now called Love Differently. And this series is the end of a series of conversations that we've been having all semester. We kind of started back in the, in the early fall and just said, hey, there's a bunch of noise, a bunch of noise about, uh, about things in our culture, and a bunch of those things have Jesus slapped on it, right? And so a bunch of things on the TV, a bunch of people carrying a cross or talking about being a church or saying the name of Jesus, and I would look at those things, you probably would too, and just cringe a little bit, right? And so we said, what, what is it, what's it really mean to be a Christ follower? Because when like the clan has a cross, you're like, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I don't want anything to do with it. Or this, this church, quote unquote, over here is screaming at people. I might look too and say, I don't, I don't even want to be identified with that. And so we just said, what if we cut through all of the noise and just heard from Jesus, looked deeply into the Bible and found out exactly what it actually meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What does he want? What's he call us to? How does that play out in our lives? And uh, let's figure that out a little bit. So we talked about uh, just seeing differently, living differently, and now loving differently, and kind of these hallmarks of a follower of Jesus Christ and what we actually are supposed to be like and the things that are actually supposed to define our lives. So we're, we're in this conversation of loving differently, Pastor Ryan opened this conversation up last weekend, talked about how within the church, how the, the people of God or the church of God is to love each other differently, that we share our lives with each other, our, our money, our energy, our spiritual gifts, the whole nine yards, right, we share with each other. And this weekend, I want to start to turn that conversation externally a little bit and talk about the hallmark of a follower of Jesus Christ? What, what would Jesus want his people, his followers, to be recognized for? And when you read the, 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 the words of Jesus and his desire for his people, the thing that jumps out the highest and the fastest is love, that he wants his people to be known as people who will love you, love him, love each other, love their neighbor, love even their enemy. In fact, he says, my disciples, you'll know them by their love for each other and their odd willingness to love all those around them. Now, it doesn't take much to know, like if you go and get on the internet or you get on, you know, if you still watch TV, that, that, that Christians are not widely known for their love. 
right? We're, we're better, clearer, more clearly known for what we stand against. Uh, we're cl- more clearly often known for our politics. Some of that's not us, some of it is, but that's what shows up. And yet Jesus would say, that's actually not what I want to be the hallmark. I want it to be your love, that when people think of needing love or someone extending love to them, they would think of my people and what they're willing to give themselves to, all right? So I want to show you this a little bit. We're going to pick this apart. What does Jesus say? How does that motivate his followers? And then we're going to look kind of internally and say, what, what, what's actually going on with me personally? And then see kind of the logical conclusions of all that math. So let me show you this. Grab your Bibles if you got them. Go to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. You can use those. In fact, if you don't have a Bible or a newer one, just take that and keep it right in it. We'd love for you to have it. And everything's also on the, the, the Grace Church app. If you search uh, Grace Church 30 in the app store, you'll find the app there. And all the notes and everything are right there as well, okay? So First John chapter 4, this is page 857. And those Bibles in the chairs. This is what Jesus says. And then we'll try to dig into this a little bit. Verse 19, we love, the we is the Christ followers. We love because he, the he is Jesus. So Christ followers love because Jesus first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or their sister. So we're going to, we're just going to camp right there this weekend, all right? And we're going to dig into those three verses and try to get our head around what's it mean to love like Christ loved. Now, before we get too deep in this conversation, we need to define what it means to have a Christ-like love, okay? So this is the definition I, I, I put in for us. It's this one. A Christ-like love. So a Christ-like just means if I was going to love like Jesus loves, if I was going to copy that love, right? So Christ-like love is this. It's a self-initiated, sacrificial act that benefits another, even if undeserved or not requested. That's a Christ-like love. It's a self-initiated, sacrificial act that benefits another, even if undeserved or unrequested. Now, that's a big deal that we, we know that definition. We'll come back to it. Because Christ's love is not like the love that you and I would talk about. So the way that our culture, our North American culture, talks about love usually is not synced up with this definition. It's not good, it's not bad, it just is, right? It's just where we live and how we think. So usually when we talk about love in our culture, we usually mean it romantically, right? So I love you and you love me, right? I love you and you're so hot and sexy. Heidi says that to me all the time. So like it, it usually, usually we're talking about it romantically, right? And we're talking about love and falling in love and being in love and all those kind of things. So that's usually the way we mean it. The other way that we mean love is we, we'll talk about love in a reciprocal relationship. So I will tend to love you to the depth that you love me. So we might be friends at work. Like, you, you love that guy? Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, I love him. He's a good friend. 
we might be friends for 30 years. Like, this is like my brother or my sister. Like we love each other, our kids. We'll talk about it in a, in a reciprocal kind of love, okay? So when we talk about God's love, that's how we tend to think of it. We would just think of it through our own natural grids, which is normal, right? We would say like love, I guess it's like this ooey gooey thing that I, I am willing to extend to other people. Or it's like, I'll, I'll kind of accept you and put up with you, right? If you aren't a big, big jerk to me. So this is important that we understand how Christ loves, okay? So when Christ talks about love, he's talking about the self-initiated sacrificial act. When you think about what Jesus did to express his love, is he self-initiated. He loved us. He came to earth for us. He self-initiated that. He wanted to do that, right? So he, he, he did that on his own. He stepped out of his way to come to us. And he did that sacrificially. There was no real upside for Jesus coming to earth, right? He, he, he did that for people who did not deserve it. So the Bible says that before I am a follower of Christ, I'm an enemy of God in my heart. So I, I didn't earn God's love. I, it wasn't because I was this super awesome religious person, went to church all the time. I, didn't, I don't deserve God's love, and I didn't even request it. Like, like Christ did not respond to like a hashtag, Jesus save me campaign. Like that didn't happen, right? There wasn't like this big momentum of like, oh, we just need a savior. Come down. It was a self-initiated sacrificial act. He stepped out of heaven, came to earth. Christmas, that's what we celebrate. He laid his life down by his own will and by his own power took it up again. Easter, that's what we celebrate. But this was something that Christ did for us while we were still sinners. He loved us like that. Now, this is what John, when he's writing here in the Bible, it's what he's talking about in verse 19 of 1 John chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. We love like that, followers of Christ. We, we self-initiate this sacrificial offering for somebody else's benefit that might, might be undeserving, they're an enemy, or they're not even requesting it. They're, they're like my neighbor. They don't even know that they need this. But I do that for them because that's the pattern and the example that Christ set for us. We were not asking we did not know. We, we didn't even necessarily appreciate it, that he was doing that. We weren't even searching for it, but Christ did that. And then Jesus says, I want my followers to do that. John 13, uh, the book of John, verse, uh, chapter 13, he says, I want you to love as you have been loved. How have you been loved? In this self-initiating, sacrificial way. Ephesians chapter five, uh, four, he says, I want you to forgive as you've been forgiven. I want you to, I, my followers do this for other people. So that's what the Apostle John's writing here. He says, we, we, we love like this because this is what Christ taught us to do, because he loved us first. We move forward like this because this is the pattern that Jesus put into place. And so it becomes the hallmark of his people. We, we, are Christ, we want to be Christ-like people. We want to function like Jesus and talk like Jesus and act and think and be motivated like Jesus. And, and he is most clearly known for his self-initiated acts of sacrifice, coming to earth so that we can know him and then laying his life down for the payment for our sin. And so my people are to love like that, okay? 
So that's kind of the baseline he puts in. He, he, Jesus, if he was here, he might say, no, 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 guys, you're my followers. I get your culture and like things you're used to and the way you use words. That, that's fine. Let me tell you what I mean. I mean that you love differently. You, you see differently, you live differently, and then you love differently. And you love, I want you to love your neighbor like that. I want you to love each other like that. I, I'll go as far, I want you to love your enemy like that. That you would, you would make the move, you would cause a sacrifice, even if undeserved or not requested, you would still love in that way, okay? Now, that's kind of what God wants. And he goes on here in verse 20, and, and he says something that, that's pretty hard-hitting. So I, I know what God's called me to, not to the political right, not to the political left. It's not just me always barking about what I don't, don't agree with, right? But he's called me to love, a, a self-initiated sacrificial love. By the way, just to be clear, that love doesn't mean that I agree with everybody all the time, okay? So there are times in life, for sure, there's times with friends, family, our culture in general, where as a Christ follower, I can't agree with you. The Bible's real clear about morality issues. The Bible's real clear about values and issues of life. The Bible's real clear about a New Testament definition of marriage. The Bible's real clear about how we are to live a generous life. There's certain things in, in the people around me that I cannot agree with you. So when Jesus says love, he doesn't mean we agree with everybody all the time. The Bible also would teach this, me loving you is not me being disinterested because apathy is actually hate. So me loving you is not me looking at you and saying, hey man, do whatever you gotta do, I'm out. Yeah, do whatever you gotta do, I won't say anything to your wife, but I'm out. Do what you gotta do, I, you know, it's between you and me, it's not bro code stuff or girl code, I don't know the girl version of that statement, but that, it's, not, it's not like covering for each other. In fact, to really love you I might actually have to intrude into your life. Sometimes the people that love you the most are the people that are willing to disagree with you. I might love you enough to look at you and say, hey man, alcohol is getting away from you, man. Let me help you with that. I, I might love you enough to, to look into your life and say, hey, you, the decisions you're making right now are gonna blow up your family. I, I love you enough to like tell you that and confront you with that. I, I might love you enough, like your mom and dad might love you enough to say, you know what, you're, you're, you're 16 years old, you can't just do whatever you want. So Jesus, that, sometimes that's my sacrifice to you. That, that's, that's my self-initiated move. So Jesus' love, it, he loved us for, it, it, well, not that we always agree, and not that we don't intrude, we would never come off of what we believe that God's word says, but I will give myself to you for your benefit, even if you don't deserve it, and even if you're not asking for it. Now, what he says in verse 20 then is me, he's giving me the ability to double click on my heart, okay? So this is what he says in verse 20. He goes on, next verse, right? We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. Fascinating. Whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have not seen cannot love God 
whom they have not seen. Whoever claims to love God but hates is a liar, but, but whoever, whoever actually loves God, they're the ones who are going to love the people that they love. This is why. Because love by its nature displaces hate. Did you catch that? If you were going to get a tattoo this week, I would get that one. Love by its nature displaces hate. I cannot love you and hate you simultaneously. I cannot hate someone you love and love you. You cannot look at me and say, Jeff, I hate your daughter, but I love you, especially my daughter, right? My boys will beat the snot out of you, and they're young enough they won't go to prison for it yet, right? So, <laughs> right? You can't, that wouldn't even make sense. You can't look at me and say, you can't look at Heidi and say, I hate Jeff, but you're great, Heidi. That happens to her a lot. I'm letting you know she takes it personally, right? You, can, you cannot... You cannot love and hate simultaneously because what love does is it displaces hate. I'll give you an example of this. I, I just, I'll confess this to you. I don't know if I've ever said this out loud or not, but I feel like I should share my heart. I hate cats. <laughs> I hate them. And I don't hate cats as a species. I hate your cat personally. I just hate these animals. I can't stand to be around them. So my mom had cats. And before she went home to be with the Lord, she lived with us. And my sister brought her two cats. And my sister will answer to God for that, for sure. And so my mom had these two cats. And, and every night, my, Heidi and I, and, and sometimes the kids, we would go and talk with my mom a little bit at her part of the house and visit. And, and we loved it. And cats know that you hate them. So they torment you. That's what they do. There's like a little cat internet thing, and they put the they put the the, the signal out, right? So I would sit down to visit with my mom every night, and these cats would jump on my lap. I hated it. They they would rub their fur under my nose to try to suffocate me, right? <laughs> they would do that. They they would they would rub like this and go murder. That, like I'm gonna do this in your sleep one night. Like so you they 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 knew I knew that they knew. They would take their little paw and they would they would pat my face with it, right? And they're like, hey, I just covered my poo with this, and now I'm. <laughs> I'm just going to rub it on your face a little. That's what a cat does. They're just evil creatures, right? So I would, I would scratch the cat's ears and pet the cat. And my mom would look at me and she, one time and she goes, she goes, Jeffrey, she'd call me that when she was mad at me. She goes, Jeffrey, you're all, all talk. You love these cats. And I looked at her. I said, Phyllis, I'd call her that when I was mad at her. I say, Phyllis, I said, I don't love these cats. I love you. I'm nice to these cats because you love these cats. I don't love these cats. I just love you. My love for you is displacing my hate for these cats. But I said, let me tell you something, Phyllis. I said, when you go home to be with Jesus, these cats are going to go somewhere that Jesus is not. <laughs> there's, there's, one, there's one reason this is working out. Because I love you. My, my love for my mom displaced my hatred of cats. You cannot love and hate simultaneously. And this is what Jesus is real. Now, it's fascinating. When he says this, he says, you can't claim, you can't claim to love God yet hate a brother or, or sister. You're a liar. You cannot do that, right? Who are you lying to? 
It's not the world around you because they all see through it. We, every thinking person knows that when the clan is walking with the cross of Jesus saying Jesus, that they're lying. Every thinking person knows that when this church over here is screaming at people that they're lying. That's not who you're lying to. You know who you're lying to primarily when you say, I claim to love God, but I hate a brother? Primarily, you're lying to yourself. And John here, he's actually not wagging his finger at you. He's actually saying, just do the math. What you're saying doesn't make sense. That I claim to love God, but I hate my brother or sister. I hate my neighbor. And then Jesus took it way far out there, that I hate my enemy. Those two things cannot coexist at the same time. I I cannot love Jesus and hate those people who deal with that sin that I think is really gross. I hate them. I don't mind the people that do the sins that I relate to, but I hate those people. I hate them. You cannot do that. You, You cannot claim to love Christ and hate a nation group. I hate those North Koreans. I hate them. Let's nuke them. What are you talking about? God loves them. You might hate their policies. You might not like their leader. You might, but the, the, whole, the whole nation of people? I cannot claim to love God and hate a group of people. I cannot claim to love God and divide people. You know who I hate? Republicans. Trump. I hate him. And everybody who's with him. Really? You know who I hate? Hillary. I hate her. And everybody who's around her. What? You claim to love God. Jesus, all you're, you're all I want. You're all I need. But I hate these people. Right? If we brought that in the church, if Ezra was like, I hate Republicans. <laughs> Democrats are going to burn in hell. It, you, you, would, you would come in the church and you would say, whoa, wait a minute. Nuke the North Koreans. You would, you would look and say, I, I don't think that has a place in a gathering that's meant to worship and proclaim Christ. And that's exactly what John is saying. He's like, right. That doesn't have a place in the people of God. The people of God cannot hate and love. And you're lying to yourself if you've constructed your life that way. You cannot Love God, whom you have not seen. This word cannot, it's a fascinating word. So we translate the English Bible out of the Greek language, right? When, when you take that, that word cannot and you shove it back into Greek and kind of dissect it, it, mean, it literally means this. You are unable to. The way that we would say it today is this. We would say it's literally impossible. You're lying You cannot do that. You cannot. It doesn't mean like, stop it, you cannot. I mean, it's a math problem. Two plus two equals four. It cannot equal seven. It's illogical. And John says that the people of God, the people of God can't work that way. We love because we, we were first loved. 
And now to, to do what Jesus said, to love as you've been loved, or to forgive as you've been forgiven, or to extend grace as you've had grace extended to you, let it abound more and more in you, you cannot make those simultaneous claims and think that you are where you need to be spiritually. We can disagree. We don't have to agree with each other about politics. We can be concerned. What North Korea is doing, I'm concerned. Our, Heidi and I, our family, my nephew is a captain in the United States Army. His brigade's the first one to go. We're concerned, right? It's very different than hating someone and harboring that's what makes verse 21 then make sense. When John says he, Christ, has given us this command, anyone who loves God must love their brother and their sister. And that, again, is not a finger wag. It's a math problem. If you love God, two plus two must equal four. There's not actually another outcome for it. If you love God, you must love your neighbor. You must love a brother and sister. You must love an enemy. See? Now that's sometimes difficult because this is what happens. When, when I accept the love of God and as God kind of pours his love into me and, and my hatred starts to be displaced, I'm going to run into roadblocks with that, right? Sure I am. I'm going to run into roadblocks and I'm going to run smack into things and those things usually involve my opinions and my pain. I'm going to run smack into something, and I'm going to look at a, a group of people or a political idea or whatever it is, and I'm going, to, I'm going to vehemently disagree. I do not want that to happen. I completely disagree with that way of thinking. And for the believer, the question is not, do I harbor that? I just hate those guys. Can't stand them. And, and I, do I vocalize it? Let me get on the internet because that really changes things. And I'm going to let everybody know. The, for the believer, it's an issue of how, what do I do with what I just ran into? I run into my pain. My ex, what she did to us. I hate her. My dad, what he did to me. My mom, she walked out on me. I hate her. See? And for the believer, the believer would look and say, no, 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 I, I must it's possible, it's spiritually logical that Christ's love for me will and can displace my, love, my hatred of other people. Last night we had this conversation and a friend of mine stopped me in the lobby afterwards and she, she, she came right to me. She said, I need help. I'm like, okay, why? She goes, I hate someone. I hate her. She said, I don't, I don't want to, but I do. And I, I know her, I know she loves Jesus and follows Jesus, and this is what she said. I, I ran into hate. I hate her guts. And instead of giving me the 15 reasons why her hatred was justified, she started saying this, how, how do I forgive her? How do I love her? How do I invite God into this process? How do I surrender this pain? How do I surrender this frustration? Right? It's not that we quit being a human being. It's that a Christ follower is going to look and say, this is the path that I want to go down. 
This is how I want to live my life. And God, will you empower me? Will you help me? I don't want to harbor, as the biblical word for it, I don't want to harbor bitterness, anger, slander, brawling, mal- brawling malice. I want to replace it with forgiveness and compassion. God, would you change me and help me to do that? And Christ would look and say, that, that's what I'm looking for. The, the mindset of a Christ follower is that right there. The mindset of, of a Christ follower is, I must, I, I, I must strip away these excuses, and I must go and move first, because that's what Christ did. I'm going to self-initiate. And whatever the sacrifice is, is the sacrifice that I'm willing to put on the table because it's what Christ did for me. And I want to move to a redeeming of these relationships as opposed to a harboring of the bitterness and hatred I have for the people. And so this is the mark of a Christ follower. A Christ follower always seeks to redeem relationships. I'm going to move toward the dad that walked out on me. I'm going to move toward my ex-wife. I'm going to move toward my political enemy. I'm going to move toward that roommate. Instead of pulling away, I'm going to self-initiate. I'm going to go first and love them. Now, God gives us several descriptions of this in the Bible. He uses metaphors. So he uses metaphors like this. I I move toward a person as an ambassador, as if Christ himself were making his appeal through me. Here's a group of people that I vehemently disagree with. I disagree with their sin. I disagree with their attitude, whatever it is. I disagree with them. I'm going to go toward them instead of away from them because I'm going to self-initiate. But I'm going as an ambassador. When Jesus ran into people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, what message did he bring to them? When Jesus ran into people who were sinners with hard hearts, what message did he bring to them? When Jesus ran into people who were broken, who had abused him, who had abandoned him like the apostle Peter did, What message did he bring to them? If Jesus were bringing this message, what would it be? I'm going to move toward those people because I want to be known for my love. As an ambassador, I'm going to bring a message to them. Another metaphor that the Bible uses is that we do this as the body of Christ. The body of Christ is one of the metaphors and names for the church. So as the body of Christ, we, we move, and it's this idea that we physically represent Christ on the planet. How would Jesus physically respond? If Jesus knew that there were kids starving to death, what would he physically do? Would he, ah, oh, man, there's always some kids starving to death. I'm sick of those commercials. Is that what he would do? If Jesus, if Jesus knew that there were people who were physically broken, they're sick, they're, they're shut in, they're locked down, what would he physically do? Yeah, man, I hope they do okay. Is that, is that what he would do? Or would he self-initiate? See? So as the body of Christ, when I hear this concern, even though it's way out there somewhere, can I physically bring, can I make food happen? Can I fit in my physical presence? Can I go and be with that person? Can I support the widow and the orphan in some way like the Apostle James talks about? 
So it, it's how I express my love. I express as an ambassador. I make that move. I express as the body of Christ. I make that move. The, the other metaphor that Jesus gives is this one. He says, he says, we do this as salt and light. Salt and light. As salt, when, when I go into salt, when you put salt in something, this is, the, this is the thinking, it changes the culture of the thing. My workplace is cynical and bitter. How can I change the culture of that workplace? How can I express love that way? Uh, these people are far from God and cynical about religion. Is there a way that I can illustrate that differently? This person is combative. Is there a way that I can change that to, from an argument to a conversation? Maybe actually hear what they actually mean instead of just what they're saying. And then light is the idea that, uh, that as, as a follower of Christ, I illuminate dark places. This is a place where the, the, the presence of God would be absent except for me. If, if I wasn't here, no one would even be thinking or talking or even considering the things of Christ. By the way, this is why you live where you live, work where you work, and go to school where you go to school. So you don't live where you live because you wanted a three-bedroom, two-bath, split-level ranch with an attached garage. That's not why you live there. You live where you live because God saw neighbors who needed the hope and the love of Jesus, so he gave you to them. You work where you work. Why, why do I have to have this dumb job? My boss is a jerk, right? People, my employees say that all the time. They're like, I hate this guy. Why, why do you work there? You work there because that boss that's difficult to love and work for, no one else in your work environment would be motivated to love them. So God gave you to them because you, you're the only one there that would be motivated to love as you've been loved. Why do you have the roommate in school that you have? Because I, I won the roommate from hell lottery and I got my right? Why do you have that roommate? You have that roommate because that roommate is full of pain that ruined all their abilities to trust anyone, and that's why they react so painfully to you. And only a child of God would even have it on their mind to bear that burden of loving a difficult person. You're God's gift to your roommate, salt, light, and the Christ Father would look at that and say, that's going to be what distinguishes me. Not my political views or me going to church all the time, whatever. But I want to be distinguished as a person who wants to love, self-initiate, sacrifice for another person, not for me. I'm not doing this so I feel better. I'm not doing a little bit of charity so I feel good about myself. It's, it's for the other person. Even when they don't deserve it, like an enemy, or even when they're not requesting it, like a neighbor would, because that's how Christ loved me. So what's a Christ follower? A Christ follower is somebody who loves differently. And what's that love look like? Well, a Christ follower is somebody who goes first. 
As a follower of Christ, I don't hide behind the walls of a church. And I don't huddle up in here and hope the icky, yucky world doesn't get me. As a Christ follower, I don't hide behind the callousness of a busy life. Yeah, I should probably meet my neighbors, but I've been so busy for the last seven years, I just can't walk across the yard. It's just impossible. See, we're not indifferent. As a Christ follower, this one's a little tough, ready? I don't hide behind the defenses of my pain. They hurt me. I hate them. You must love them. They did this to me. I refuse to. I didn't say trust them. I didn't say agree with them. I certainly didn't say excuse them or enable them. But to love, to offer, to be willing. And we break that ice. We cross that threshold. We don't wait for that just to happen somehow. We move first. A Christ follower, a true Christ follower, is honest about their own heart. They're honest about their own heart. Guys, listen to me. I love you, but let's just get some stuff straight here, okay? You, you cannot be a bigot and claim to love Christ. You can't do it. Because you cannot hate and love simultaneously. You cannot wish for violence upon a group of people. Nuke them. You know, five years ago, it was the Iraqis we were going to nuke, then the Iranians. We're just like moving through. You cannot look at a group of people and say, for, for, to make my life easier, I just wish they didn't exist. That would, that would never in any way reflect the heart of Christ. You cannot be fine with harboring bitterness, slander, anger, malice, and brawling within your heart. You cannot look at that and say, I, I'm just going to live this way. I just don't talk to my dad. I just don't interact with my old friend. No. Because you, you cannot hate and claim to love because you cannot hate who I love and love me. You cannot hate who God loves and love him. So we have to be honest in our own hearts. Callousness indifference. I just don't give a rip. Who, care, who cares if they don't have a home? Who cares if they're stuck on heroin? Who cares if they're hungry? They should have got their act together. That, can you imagine if our Lord interacted with us that way? So we go first where we are honest about the condition of our own heart and a true Christ caller, we just look and say we must embrace the natural outcome of hate being displaced by love. We redeem relationships. It's logical that we would think that way. It's logical, spiritually logical, that we would see that way. Spiritually logical that we would live that way. 
and spiritually logical that we would love that way. We must. Two plus two equals four. You must. If you love God, you must love your brother or your sister. Now, there's a lot in this conversation, I know. It's tough stuff because it affects us in very personal ways, right? So when we think about this, like, what do I want to be known for? If somebody went and read all my tweets and posts, what conclusion would they draw of me? If someone went and read everything that I wrote during the election, what conclusion would be drawn of me? And for the Christ follower, right? For the Christ follower, the main conclusion should be love. They, when they disagree, they're respectful. When they have to stand against a, a sin, they do that with a, a grace and a mercy. And when I think about, put in your name, when I think about, what I think is that even if they didn't agree, even if they couldn't participate, even if they felt like they had to oppose, when push came to shove, they would love me. As an individual, that's our calling. You'll know they're my disciples. As a church, with a sum total of our individual parts, that should be our hallmark. We're, we're never going to yield on what God's Word says. Nobody's talking about that. But the tone, the attitude, the openness, being a friend of sinners. All right. Band's going to come out in a minute, and, and we're going to spend some time just praying and thinking and responding to God. And here's a few things to think about if you want question to ask yourself would be this. Is there any person or any group that I withhold love from? Any person or any group. I know I should probably move toward them, but I'm not doing it. Is there any um, individual that you hate? And should that relationship be acted on in some way? The phone call, the text, the whatever. Is there a first move that you need to make? And here's the last question. Is there, is there an action that could be taken? You know, I've been thinking about, you know, I heard that so-and-so you know, that one time when we did such and such, is there a self-initiated sacrificial action for the benefit of someone else that you could do in the name of Christ in order to be an example or an illustration of his love? All right.
I'll pray. You pray and think. Chew on this a little bit. Jesus, help us with this. It's hard, Lord, but thank you for being the pattern and the example for it. Thank you, Lord, that when we're trying to figure it out, we can look at your life, the sacrifice you made, your willingness to lay your life down. You weren't a pushover. You stood up for what was right and wrong. But you reached into people's lives, ours too. You reached into their sin, ours too. And when we didn't deserve and we weren't even asking, we weren't even aware, you still were initiating love. So God, encourage us where we should be encouraged. Convict us where we should be convicted. And God, let, let the hallmark of our lives change. Let the, let the hallmark of our families, even our church, always be that no matter what, that person, those people, that family, they'll, they'll love us. They'll help us. Right? And God, let us... Uh, let us see the world through your eyes. Let us live our lives by your example. And let us reflect your love. Help us in these still moments. In your name, Jesus. Amen.